Welcome back to the Comics Course. This is an offering of Miskatonic University's remote education program offering Literature 209, Graphical Literature and Society and History as a publicly available podcast. I am your ever-indulgent Professor Hamby, you all have A's, along with my ever-persecuted T.A. Rowan. Say hello, Rowan. Hello. Rowan is thrilled to be here today because... um, I don't know. Why are you thrilled to be here, Rowan? We're talking about Yuri. Yes, that's right. This is, uh, tragically, our last uh, June secondary podcast, or offcast, as we sometimes call it. Mm-hmm. And that means that it, it, it's our last LGBTQ specific for Pride Month episode. Mm-hmm. But we do things touching on diversity all year round, so we will touch on uh, community-related topics Throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to do a special run for Pride Month. And I specifically wanted... Excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of this wonderful watermelon smoothie. Mm. We made smoothies before the podcast, folks. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the emphasis on Pride Month to be joyful. Mm-hmm. Fun things. Not wholly depressing, man. Mm-hmm. So... I thought we'd talk about Yuri, and I initially thought I was going to talk about a specific Yuri creator, but the more and more I thought about talking with people about Yuri, I realized that we need to do a better job of defining the genre. So, knowing that you're a big fan of Yuri as a reader, Mm -hmm. and you come at it from a different point of view than I do, um, I wanted to chat about it. Now... One thing I often find is that people seem to assume that Yuri is a Japanese parallel to American adult uh, uh, lesbian entertainment, Mm -hmm. which is to say not really lesbian most of the time. Or or at least, I'm not saying that the women who make these forms of adult entertainment aren't necessarily enjoying themselves. In fact, I suspect they are. I suspect most of them are... uh, Bi or pan, if, you know, if not lesbian. Um, But it's definitely often done for a male performative gaze. There's just no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. Now, again, not to say women can't enjoy it, but they're not actually doing things just for themselves and happen to be on film. It's being done for a specific gaze, Mm -hmm. for a specific purpose, which is... uh, Sexual gratification. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yuri manga does not exist for that purpose. And is totally different. It's a totally different tradition. It is not a manga version of porn at all. In any way, shape, or form. And it is, in fact, a genre, not an audience. I would say that Yuri is mostly read by women, but it has a significant male audience. In fact, in Japan, there are even Yuri mangas specifically oriented towards a male audience. Mm-hmm. But the content is not substantially different than any other Yuri. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's not sexual in nature. In fact, the focus in Yuri is on the relationships, which is something I think people have to understand. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. It is definitely most of the time focused on the relationship. Honestly, it's rare to see any Yuri with explicit scenes in general. Very rare. Um, Many Yuri works that I read 
the characters are always fully clothed mm-hmm. with maybe some light flirtatious elements. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some Yuri that will be a bit risque and, you know, there's a shirt part way off and you see the bra and panties, mm-hmm. you know. And then, even more rare than that, you might see a bare boob. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Um, which, for some Americans, is a scandalous proof of rampant immorality. And most of the world goes, it's a boob, get over it. <laughs> but clearly the average American man has not seen them without paying for them. Ow. No, the average American man has access to Twitter. <laughs> that's, a poor, that's a form uh, of paying with your dignity. That is a pain. Well, that might be true. <laughs> um, depending on what accounts they follow, I suppose. So, the term Yuri itself, for those who don't know, actually means Lily. And... Uh, as far as I'm aware, the term actually started in the 1970s. Now, the 1970s were the start of a big sort of pro-sex movement in Japan. And there were uh, homoerotic magazines for men. And frequently, you know, with strong BDSM themes, very similar to some of the gay erotica produced in the United States in that time period. Mm-hmm. And definitely influenced by it. And there is a part in one where the editor writes, uh, putting a nod to lesbians in the Japanese community, which were a much quieter voice than the men. Uh, Again, also parallels in some ways the U.S. at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can find a lot of stuff about pushing for the gay rights movement. And when you read about that in the 1970s in the U.S., you would almost be forgiven for thinking that the only gay people were men. Yeah. Uh, There were lesbians, in fact, present. There were lesbians involved. But they weren't as visible as the men in that time period. Can't give the women folk ideas. Oh, my Lord. Um, And we're not going to get into divisions within the LGBTQ community, especially historically, because that would take us way off track here. Mm -hmm. But there is complexity there. And the editor in that magazine referred to, nodding to the lesbian community in Japan, he referred to them as the Lily Tribe, or the Yuri Tribe. Mm -hmm. And whether that was the first use of that term, or just the first that, you know, uh, we've been able to sort of track back historically, I don't know. But the term has persisted over time, and is pretty much generally translated as girl's love. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, lesbianism is a common theme in Yuri. However, the term girl's love, I think, needs to be taken more broadly than that. Mm-hmm. Because, it, it, and many people will talk about this, but uh, it's about love between girls. And sometimes that is sexual. Uh, it, it certainly in, is encompassed by what we call lesbianism. Sometimes... It's sappho romantic, mm-hmm. but not sex sappho sexual. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about romantic attraction between girls, but not a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's about friendship. Mm-hmm. And here's one of the places I consider 
it to be very distinct from some other genres, and I'm curious about your opinion, mm-hmm. I think that doubt is a cornerstone, not universal, but a cornerstone. Doubt about the nature of that relationship is at the cornerstone of many Yuri works. Definitely. And I, one of the major tropes. Right. And frequently you find one pair, one of the pair, there, there are uh, uh, tr- love triangles and all kinds of things in Yuri fiction, two girls, one guy, two girls, two guys, all kinds of things. But the main drama often revolves around two girls. Mm-hmm. And one of them often is very clear on their feelings mm-hmm. and often is an avowed... Uh, uh, has a sexual and romantic interest in the other girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes only sexual, sometimes only romantic, sometimes both. And But is scared to come out all the way mm-hmm. for fear of rejection. And the other girl isn't sure about what her feelings are. Mm-hmm. And if this were American Hallmark movies, they would always end up in a happily ever after with the two girls living together. But no, they just have to stab me in the heart. Right. And sometimes they do end up happily ever after. Um, but that's another trait of Yuri that you never can be sure. Very often, the endings can be bittersweet. Um, I mean, I've read a number of manga stories where at the end they both just kind of have to accept that they aren't going to be for the other what the other wants, but they still love the other, and they kind of split up, maybe at the end of high school, to go to different colleges in different parts of the country. And they kind of part with this acknowledged, I'll always love you, but we're not going to be together. And I see you kind of tearing up right now. I'm just describing it, and it's stabbing you in the heart, that's, isn't it? That's because I just have, like, five different ones that just popped into my head. <laughs> exactly. And yet, other times, they end up happily together. Sometimes, um, one of them has sexual and romantic interest, and the other is just like, you're my best friend, and I want to live with you. And the other decides that's good enough for them. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of conclusions to these things. And sometimes, I I would argue that they're rarely heartbreaking. I don't think I've ever won that I would consider Yuri that is just completely depressing at the end. Where Mm -hmm. just somebody is broken and there's no kind of hope. However, the endings can often be romantic emotionally complex and extremely bittersweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very different from other genres, like, say, Yaoi, which tends to be sexually explicit for women, though it has male readers too, mm-hmm. and the endings tend to be much simpler. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. That's one of the reasons why I don't tend to read a lot of it. Unless I've been confirmed by friends, it is good. Yeah. And not just porn. And and it does tend to very much be about that relationship and it resolving. And because explicit sexuality is often a major component of yaoi, they have a clear sexual relationship going forward often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Regardless of what else happens. Mm-hmm. While Yuri is the realm of sheer, we don't know what's going to happen next. Anything could happen. Mm-hmm. But... 
the endings tend to be either sweet or bittersweet in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find Yuri in video games, light novels, manga, all kinds of materials. Um, and and they really kind of grew grew out of the 1970s when, not surprisingly, women started being more involved in manga, and mm-hmm. we started seeing women writing romance manga in general, and. Yuri kind of grew out of that. Uh, Although I would argue Yuri was largely unknown until the 1990s. And then it kind of exploded. And, I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, We have Sailor Moon to thank for that, in a lot of ways. I mean, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune were in a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. They were lesbians. Um, my understanding is that was extremely played down in the English translation. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> yeah, apparently there were two lesbian characters in that that the English dub retranslated to them being cousins. Right. I, I don't know the details of that, but I know it was Sailor Uranus and Neptune, and I know that they were in, you know, a, a well lesbian relationship, mm-hmm. and. Uh, there were many Yuri Doshinshis written about them mm-hmm. um, from that. And regardless of the English retranslation, uh, American and Western audiences did pick up on it. And I cannot tell you the number of women I know who like girls, whether they identify as you know, lesbian, pan, bi, whatever, um, who point back to Sailor Moon in their formative years and go, I knew there was something going on there and it felt like something that spoke to me. Mm -hmm. And it was the only representation I saw in cartoons as a kid that spoke to that part of me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah. And not surprisingly, uh, for a lot of kids, Sailor Moon led into an interest in anime and Japanese culture in general. Mm -hmm. And of course, by the late 90s, um, anime culture was experiencing a new renaissance in the West, Mm -hmm. at least among that generation. Uh, In older generations like myself, who had been fascinated by anime as teenagers and in our college years... We're kind of like shaking our fists at the heaven like, we were too early. I had to hunt down tapes and little shitholes <laughs> and trade with Canadian pirates to watch anime. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, pre-internet, one of the ways those of us in the West got to watch anime, especially if we didn't know Japanese, was fans would subtitle content. A lot of the... Now, it was not an easy process. And in fact, there were these old types of computers called Amigas that were super popular for it because they had really good subtitling software and hardware that could work with them. But it was very time-consuming. You both needed a good translation and somebody had to sit down and time out the text in time with the anime. And a big area for these obsessive anime fans... Uh, we're in the Vancouver, Canada area, I guess because of a large population of Westerners who speak Japanese. There's a, a lot of Japanese uh, uh, immigrants in the Vancouver area. And for cost, they you could mail them money 
and they would distribute these little catalog mimeographed catalogs. You know, they're like, or, or they were typed up and then photocopied. And for cost, you could send them money, and they would send you subtitled tapes, VHS tapes. Damn, the Canadians taking care of us for decades. And these things would sometimes get seized at the border, <laughs> and you'd just never see them. But seizing anime at the border. <laughs> it happened. Well, keep in mind, this was the time period when there was also very little manga. I mean, places like uh, Early Viz and Dark Horse were the only ones publishing manga, and there wasn't a ton of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm just imagining the guards who, like, confiscate stuff. One's like, oh yeah, I got some drugs from this guy, I got some weapons for this guy. I got some weird tapes with anime. You're right, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's funny to me. But that's the world we lived in. And frankly, one of the things that allowed the growth of anime in the West, frankly, is <coughs> that the Japanese companies had a very persistent attitude of, if we're not licensing it in the West, we don't care that people do this. Mm-hmm. And they never went after anybody, ever. Mm-hmm. And with so no local copyright holder, people were able to do this. And people had a very strict rule. If a company licensed it, they stopped all distribution. Mm-hmm. If a company licensed the anime or the manga, boom, people stopped distributing it in the fan market. Mm-hmm. And that way, the uh, uh, companies that were investing in these properties also could feel like they weren't going to get screwed. Mm-hmm. Which allowed them to invest more. And I know this is a bit of a tangent away from Yuri, but the the Yuri content was part of this. Mm-hmm. Now, there wasn't a lot of it, and it was minimal. I would argue Yuri didn't really explode until the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it exploded around the same time that manga began being heavily licensed to the West. And I would argue the first, the two that really just blew up for people... Well, the first one, really, was Citrus. Mm-hmm. It ran about 2011 or 12 until just a few years ago um, and was huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody read Citrus, it seemed like. And there were other, uh, Bloom Into You, which came along a few years later. Again, another one. And followed these same tropes that we talked about, about the two female characters kind of resolving their emotional presence with each other, their emotional intent, you know. Um, did they love each other? Did they want to live together? You know, and you can almost group uh, uh, several kinds of emotional experiences here. Um, sexual, you know, is there sexual attraction? What we use as our sort of... Uh, 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 defining spectrum for whether someone is pan, bi, lesbian, straight, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then separate from that, the romantic spectrum. And this is something that I think some Westerners struggle with, but that generationally, your generation does better at than older Western generations, splitting the romantic spectrum from the sexual. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear sometimes these girls have a strong romantic connection, mm-hmm. but not sexual. Mm-hmm. And then friendship, which is v- kind of blurred with the romantic a lot. Mm-hmm. 
And in the East, there are ideas of things like skinships. You know, th these emotional experiences that are kind of romantic, but maybe not quite what we think of as romantic. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of a careful spectrum there. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also what I call domestic attraction. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm, I don't think so. Domestic attraction is an interesting little thing. We don't have common language for it, but I see it in Yuri um, a lot. And it is that feeling of wanting to make a household with somebody and have this sort of domestic... Uh, uh, um, you got to help me out here. What's the word I'm looking for? I, I don't know. A, a domestic tranquility a domestic mm -hmm. peace mm -hmm. to make a home with somebody even if the relationship isn't romantic or sexual and it's almost like a friendship to the next level mm -hmm. wanting to spend your life with somebody level of friendship mm -hmm. and we see that as a common possible relationship in yuri manga and i'm thinking of yuri like i married my best friend to shut up my mother by, uh, I think that's uh, Nodako uh, Kodama, um, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, where essentially one character has clearly strong romantic and probably sexual feelings towards the other, and the other kind of settles into... Uh, she does, in fact, marry her best friend to shut her parents up, um, who are constantly trying her to get her to go dating, and she's not interested. And in fact, she seems to be perhaps aromantic, and asexual. Mm. It's not really clear. But she has this domestic instinct towards her friend and living with her. And so they develop this relationship. Mm. Where on one side it is very much kind of a lesbian attraction. And on the other kind, this person who may be aromantic having this uh, uh, desire for a domestic relationship. Mm -hmm. So we kind of have this split of... Uh, friendship, romanticism, sexuality, and then at the far end of friendship, this domesticism. Mm -hmm. And one of the traits that I think is very different in Yuri than Western romance is there's a strong idea in Western romance of the two people must mirror each other's feelings. Mm -hmm. They must uh, uh, have reciprocation that's identical to what's expressed outwards to them. And if they don't, somehow it's false and uneven. Mm -hmm. While in Eastern literatures, in, in Yuri, um, there's often this idea that it doesn't matter that things match. That it can be uneven. That one side can get something very different out of it than the other person does. But that so long or both are happy, that's okay. What do mm -hmm. you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it's one of the things that can make Yuri so fun for different readers. There's so many different types of Yuri you can read and enjoy. Well, and one of the things that makes it very different for me is in a Western romance, it often feels like it's a battle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a battle between the romantic partners to find out who will match the other's intent. While Yuri is more often about personal revelation. And it also just kind of feels more real and organic. Right, because the reality is, 
um, that romance is a fantasy the way it's usually constructed. Not because romance isn't real. I actually believe romance is very real. But because people are different. And people often do come into relationships needing, wanting different things, being in different places. And that's not a bad thing. It's just an acknowledgement that people are different. Um, there's a psychiatrist I once saw who said, uh, relationships aren't about being equal. Relationships are often about two broken people having their jagged edges fit together the right way. Mm-hmm. Who are broken in different ways, but fit together. Mm-hmm. And that is more realistic in my experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also kind of how friendships work. Yeah. Uh, I, I will note that there have been some notable uh, uh, changes in the Yuri genre in recent years, especially with the web dramas out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, light novels kind of begat web novels. Mm-hmm. And web novels, I think, tend to be a bit more explicit, a bit more sexual on average. Not necessarily a lot. But I'm just saying that if you're going to read a Yuri work with an explicit scene, you're probably reading a web novel. Which is kind of weird, I've noticed, because when I first got into reading the web novels, there was almost no explicit content on the sites I was reading on and stuff. But there's a lot these days. Yeah, which really confused, because I took a couple of years break from reading them for whatever reason, because all the series I were reading were either on hiatus or were over, and then I came back and I'm like... Oh, 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 wow, That this yeah. is a lot of porn. Yeah, <laughs> just to be blunt, yes. Um, and, you know, th- there are some fairly mainstream ones, like I'm in Love with the Villainous. Yeah. Which began as a web novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want to also point out a work. Uh, it was originally published in 2016, and I think it's interesting because people bring it up in relationship to Yuri all the time. And in fact, I even saw uh, uh, some reputable sources, normally reputable, that claim this is a Yuri work, and I would claim it's not at all. Um, but it does t- connect to the Yuri genre, and that is My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness by Kabi Nagata. I have never heard of this. It is. Uh, this is an interesting example of what I think is kind of this bizarre Western desire to define something that we have no right to define as Westerners because it makes us feel better about reading something because it fits into our values. Mm -hmm. Now, traditionally, Western culture does not appreciate graphic literature very much. Traditionally, Western literature has a very off-and-on relationship with sexuality in books. Uh, which is especially amusing that people consider sexual content in books smut. And I can point out some very literary awarded books with a lot of very explicit content in them. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is something that our society has traditionally kind of treated as, well, once it's literary enough, we can have some respect for it. But it must be very literary. Uh with the definition of literature being very nebulous at times. Let's put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So, My Lesbian Explo- Experience with Loneliness, which has a couple of sequels to it, are autobiographical. Mm-hmm. It, it, she is not writing a work of fiction. 
except to the degree that any work of autobiography is, because it's not going to include everything, and it is their perception. So some of it might be simplified, or some of it may even be falsified, but it's written as autobiography. Mm -hmm. And it is about her as a lesbian in Japan and wanting to be a creator of manga and her struggles. Now, I considered pairing this up with genderqueer uh, because it has some similarities. Now, in this case, she definitely identifies as female, but her sexuality is something very uncomfortable to her. Mm -hmm. And it's something she struggles with along with her mental illness, anxiety and depression and all these things. And I decided to leave this out and not pair it with genderqueer. I felt like genderqueer had a much more positive and uplifting message. While this is... I may have managed to make this work that people love and applaud, but I'm a hot, depressed mess, no matter what. And the sequels are more of that. <laughs> but they're very. it's very good. Um... She did two more sequels, My Solo Exchange Diary Volume 2 and My Alcoholic Escape from Reality. Oh, joy. Right. So, I mean, her life's been rough. Mm. This is not Yuri. It's commented on Yuri recently. In fact, I just pulled up the Wikipedia article and they list the genres as autobiography and Yuri. This is not Yuri. In my opinion, by definition, if it's autobiographical, it can't be Yuri. I think autobiography could be Yuri. But, it, but you're going to have to be very selective in how you tell your story, and it's going to have to fit the genre. This does not fit the genre. This is not about love between two girls, any shape of love. This is about an individual's struggles in her life. The fact that she is a lesbian does not automatically make it Yuri. Mm -hmm. And this shows how even something like Wikipedia, which is a fairly good source overall has these western biases and don't get it they confuse an audience with a genre lesbians are not the audience of yuri they are part of the audience it is a genre that has appealed to many audiences yeah i feel like a lot of westerns ideas especially older people is if it's lesbian it's yuri right which is not true we have to get back to those themes. Yuri is a genre, not just anything with lesbians. And it has tropes and ideas. If the emphasis isn't on their emotional relationship, then it's not Yuri. That is critical. It can have no sex. It can have a lot of sex. I have seen sexually explicit Yuri with a lot of that content. But that just happened to be what that creator did the focus on the story was still the emotional relationship between the characters. Hence why just lesbian smut isn't Yuri. Right. And this is something they have to get. The intimacy between the women is the primary point. And often, a common trope is defining that intimacy. It, no, carry on. Uh, uh, all I was going to say was, um, you know, one of the things that's different is with Western literature... Western romance, Western romance often centers around, okay, we have this story, and these two people, maybe they know each other, maybe don't, but they don't have any form of intimacy in their relationship. Let's see how we get there. Mm -hmm. Very often, intimacy exists before the story ever starts in Yuri. Mm -hmm. But what is the intimacy? The characters don't even know, much less the reader. Mm -hmm. 
Now, that's not always. I can think, certainly, of Yuri where the characters don't know each other at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's fairly common that they do. Yeah, which is unlike a lot of romance genres. Like, they already know each other at school. Hell, sometimes they're already friends. Right. And in fact, the childhood friends that grow up and one is heavily attracted to the other and the other has just never questioned their relationship is a common setup. And honestly, is one of my favorite tropes of it. Right. I mean, it's why I've recommended Netsuo Trap to you, although I don't think you've ever read it. No, I need to. And, you know, one of them gives serious Yandere vibes. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes that one of them is kind of cruel to the other to drive them away um, is, a, is an occasional trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, or to, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't think you're into me, but I'm into you, so I'm going to be a bitch and drive you away. Because if we can just get this defined, at least I won't hurt so much anymore. Yeah, which is kind of a variant of the Sundere trope. Right. Um, and, and some people refer to this as predatory lesbians. It's not. I, I, I don't see a lot of predatory behavior in Yuri, to be honest. Yeah, that tends to be more of a problem with Yaoi. Right. And... and- and I feel like the focus on the relationship is one of the definitions of Yuri is why Yuri is so less fetishized, unlike Yaoi. Right. And, and it's one characters of... come to things from a lot of different perspectives. Now, there, there definitely is a market for creepy Yuri. Mm-hmm. But that's a subgenre, not the main... Well, and it's a genre that often doesn't violate any of the major tropes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of one from, I think it was one of the Syrup anthologies. And this girl has a fixation on another girl. Mm-hmm. And the other girl's a piano player. And she keeps wishing that the girl would break her fingers. Because then she'd need to rely on her. Oh, yeah, that one. And it was creepy and it was dark. But the girl didn't actually want the other girl to break her hand. And when something did happen to her, she felt horrible. Right. But it shows that complexity of depth. Those emotions that are not simple. And how something can be both creepy and sweet in a way. Yeah, that uh, that one was so messed up and sweet at the same time. I almost felt bad finding it really cute. Right. And some people feel that falls into the les- the predatory lesbian's trope, but I don't think so. Yeah, cuz I I cuz she felt bad when something happened to her. That's not predatory. Right. And plus western percep- perceptions of the predatory trope often involve pedophilia because of this bizarre, almost psychotic Western obsession with the idea that if people are what they think of as sexual deviancy, which historically our culture is considered any form of homosexuality, sexual deviancy, mm-hmm. it was in fact until fairly recently categorized in you know the definitive texts on mental health as a form of mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this assumption. Oh well, if they're deviants, they're going to be deviants in all ways. If one man will have sex with another man, then clearly he's a pedophile too. Yeah. Which makes zero sense in reality, of course. Yeah, you can you can read old stories about people finding out family members are gay or lesbian and then wanting to keep their children away from them. Right. Now, is there a genre in Japanese manga for predatory lesbians? Absolutely. As there is for predatory gay men. Mm-hmm. In straight relationships. But, that's just a genre for people. Right. But I would argue they're not Yuri. Yeah. Just because it has lesbians in it does not make it Yuri. Again, mm-hmm. that's a Western idea that's pushed upon it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it kind of bugging me, bugs me, you know. Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, I and I am amused, uh, by the way, about Sailor Moon that I've heard people say Sailor Moon was not intended to be Yuri, but ended up it. And any girl in it that uh, was straight became at least bi in fan canon by the end of it, <laughs> <laughs> which. It's pretty much true. Uh, and if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure the writer of that did write a lesbian, not lesbian, a Yuri story in the past, if I remember correctly. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there were two Yuri characters. And um, let's just say I've had female acquaintances who said they had revolu- uh, 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 revelations about themselves upon watching Sailor Mars with yeah. the short hair. Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of sweet. Uh-huh. So, you know, and this bittersweet thing is a fairly recent change. I will say that the early Yuri stories did feature a lot more tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, especially those published before the 90s. I think the sweet and bittersweet evolution of the genre is different. But that has also matched the changing dialogue in Japanese culture. You know, women only... I, Women's romances were written almost exclusively by men before the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. And women took that over. Mm-hmm. And as women got more of a voice, then slowly over time, you know, that subgroup of women, lesbians, mm-hmm. started to get a little bit more voice of their own, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Japanese culture has weird mixed feelings about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I'm not saying it's better than the West historically, but it is but, more complicated, in my opinion. Right, in some ways more accepting, but only if you don't put it where anybody can see it. Mm-hmm. So, in some ways, more constrictive. Mm-hmm. So, and and men's gay culture kind of came out and got a foothold faster than women's did. And I think the evolution of Yuri manga kind of reflects that. You know, it, it's hard to write an uplifting end to a Yuri series in the 1970s when you know that any women that are living out together are just going to be miserable and face persecution. Uh-huh. You know, so I, I'm certainly not saying that Yuri um, has a, you know, reflects that women can be out and live publicly with no backlash. But I do think the situation for lesbians in Japan is way better now than it was 40, 45 years ago. Just like here. Right. Right. But both groups still need to do a lot of work. Yeah. So, I think we've done a pretty good job of defining Yuri. Mm-hmm. And- uh, and to go back to the definition of not all Yuri has to be romantic or physical or whatever, I do think about 80% of it is with romantic interest and not, like, daughter-mother stuff, which is sometimes part of it. I, I would say that's very rare, though. Yeah. I, I, I don't see a major incest theme in Yuri fiction. Personally. Well, I'm not talking about incest. I'm talking okay. about, like, because it's girls' love. It doesn't have to be romantic or physical. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying a familial affection. Yeah, familial. In mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that's uncommon. 
but you um, can definitely find some of it. Especially yes. if you pick up Yuri anthologies, you will sometimes find like mother, daughter, daughter, a, a maid, an older person with a young child. If you pick up that, it's not incest. Right, right. Uh, now, I'm not saying that there aren't incest Yuri mm -hmm. works out there, but anytime we talk about a genre, we have to generalize. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that generalization is 80% of the genre fits this pattern and 20% doesn't. Sometimes it's 90. I would say on the case of incest, it's more like 99.999% does not. You're going to have to really find those few on the far tail end of the spectrum works that do. Now, the mother-daughter stuff, um, the familial affection mm -hmm. stuff, I would argue is more common than that, mm -hmm. but still uncommon. I mean, I'm still thinking around like the 1%, half a percent mark. Yeah, but I feel the need to mention that because I've had friends and stuff who've picked up anthology works and then found one with like a mother-daughter and then were very confused. Right. And confused because there was no romantic or physical relations, so it wasn't necessarily incest, but they were still confused because all the other stories were romantic. Right. And this is just a place where language is confusing, right? Because it started, the term started being used in the context of male gay magazines mm -hmm. to refer to lesbians. Mm -hmm. And then over time has become the genre we're talking about now which is very different from the same works 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. And some people will use the term Yuri to mean lesbians, but as a manga genre, I think we can explicitly, we, we can definitively say it's not necessarily about sexual interest. Mm -hmm. It is about girls' love and affections, mm -hmm. which can take a number of forms. Mm -hmm. Although it does tend to include either uh, a romantic attraction and or sexual attraction. That tends to normally build up into a romantic attraction. On the part of at least one of them. Mm -hmm. Not always both. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because we get back to that idea of it's not about the two sides being equal. It's about them having this finding their balance in their relationship. Mm -hmm. So I do want to talk very quickly about some recommended reads. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned anthologies. Um, the Syrup Anthologies. There are four of them out now. The fourth one just came out recently. Oh, really? Yep. I think I've only read the first two. Well, I've got all of them if you want to read them. Please, some of them. Uh, the first Syrup Anthology, I recommend wholeheartedly to anybody. I think it's just superb. The second and third ones were not as good as the first, mm. but still a lot of good stories in them, in my opinion, and worth reading. Um, and the fourth I haven't read yet, but I hope it continues that. The uh, Claire first anthology is pretty good too. It's a yeah. little. Some of the stories are a little hit and miss. Yeah. Unlike the first syrup, but I still recommend it. Yeah, I will say it was either an Eclair or one of the syrups, not the first syrup, but the second or third one, that had one Yuri story that I read and went, "This is not Yuri." Yeah. This is just not Yuri. It does not hit any of the tropes or elements, and I looked it up. And the author was a guy. The only male author in the whole thing. I will warn you, the few times I've gotten feelings of this isn't Yuri or this doesn't feel right or this feels gross, I've always looked it up and it's a guy. Yeah, it's just something that women do better, folks. Sorry. Not saying there aren't good male ones, but mm -hmm. some other recommendations. And there's so much Yuri out here. I'm just hitting some personal recommendations, folks. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, NTR, Netzuo Trap. This was an ongoing series that ended after, I think, six or... Yeah, six uh, Tankuban. It's by Kodama Naoko, who I mentioned earlier, who also wrote uh, I Married My Best Friend to Shut My Parents Up. Mm. It was distributed by Seven Seas Entertainment. Seven Seas does a lot of the borderline racy stuff, and they mm. seem comfortable with it. And NTR definitely revolved around... You know, the two childhood friends, one of whom knows that they are sexually attracted to the other, and the other doesn't know what the hell's going on, and doesn't know how to process her feelings, and you're like, will she, won't she, and the friend kind of pushes her away because she doesn't want to be hurt by rejection, and, you know, I'm not going to spoil the end for you. Mm Mm-hmm. But I really want to read this one. I've always had it recommended to me. It's uh, uh, slightly racy at times, mm-hmm. but has no explicit scenes whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Girlfriends is a very popular one uh, by Milk Morinaga. Uh, again, distributed in English by Seven Seas Entertainment. Very, very popular. It was originally published in a sign-in magazine. It's aged to slightly older readers, uh, older teens and you know, 20s. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Bloom Into You. This is just... Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have not actually read this. Same. I've been meaning to... It, 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 even if I don't like it, I still feel like I need to read it because it's such a Yuri classic. Right. It is a classic. I've got all eight Tonkaban. It looks amazing. I just... I, I guess I've been looking for the opportunity to sit down and just read it uninterrupted. Same. I've been told that's the best way to read it. Yeah. I've also been told get tissues. Oh, I don't think I need that after recently rereading uh, uh, I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. I was like, it won't hurt so much reading it the second time. No, it did. It hurt just as much the second time. Yeah, that that's how I felt. Uh, God, I can't remember the title, but... Uh, the one with the death girl. I watched it for a second time recently with a mm-hmm. friend, and it hurt just as much the second time. I did not think it would. I cried again. And I'm going to throw out one that I th- is a child-appropriate Yuri. Not even a, a lot of Yuri is oriented either to teenagers or uh, the younger adult audience, which in Japanese culture is different than what we call young adult. Young adult here usually means, like, teen years. Yeah. In Japan, young adult, sinin means, like, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, that kind of age range. Yeah, here it tends to mean around 17 and up. Yeah. Uh, But Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Now, interestingly, this is actually published uh, in a sinin magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a magazine that prides itself. Uh, it's called Monthly Action, but it prides itself on just publishing anything it considers good. And Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid has some humor for older readers, but is definitely popular among children. Mm-hmm. Um, and is very, very clean. It is a Yuri relationship where the Dragon Maid is attracted to Miss Kobayashi, mm-hmm. and Miss Kobayashi is completely aromantic, asexual. Um, mm-hmm. At least in the context of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know about their shinshis out there because I value my Sandy too much to look for him. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's how I survive at Miskatonic, folks. <laughs> there are some things you just choose not to read, even when you're a lit professor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, 
the Dragon Maid just kind of devotes her life to Miss Kobayashi in a very, very subby way. Um, but that's okay. And it, it doesn't bring any adult elements into it. It's just a f- fun little uh, uh, children's story with a strong Yuri theme, this emotional mm-hmm. relationship between the two characters. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, I think, the first two episodes of the anime, and it's very cute. And the anime very much follows along with the manga. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of others. I mean, there's tons I haven't read. There's just so much out there. Like, Miss Vampire, who lives in my neighborhood. I've heard good things about it and Same. haven't read it. Um, you know, and on and on. And and some crossover with genres you may not be that interested in. I mean, there's Yuri out there that crosses over with the, you know, I'm here to collect a harem of girls because each unlocks a power that will help me save the world genre. Mm-hmm. You know, the reluctant harem genre. But... I, I call it reluctant harem to save the world. <laughs> yeah, which isn't really a genre I like. I tend to like two-person romances. I also don't read any love triangles because there's enough stress in my life. <laughs> right, you don't need the drama. I, I and I don't and I don't need the drama of picking which pair I like because which pair I like is always the one that doesn't end up. Oh, I know that. I feeling. have the I have the worst luck. Oh, I don't even. We're not going to talk about that right now. There's still one I'm trying to get over that ended like two years ago. Domestic girlfriend. The one that broke everyone's heart, I heard. <laughs> I'm good to buzz he is. Look, the writer wrote a good story. I'm not criticizing her decisions. Just not the decision I wanted. Yeah, it feels like every time I read something where there's two pairings you pick from, it feels like the writer hears the pairing I like and goes, okay, we're doing the other one. But the thing is, I wouldn't have been terribly happy with either because I liked both the girls. I just mm-hmm. thought they should have ended up in a poly relationship. Fair. You know, now, admittedly, the girls were sisters, so not with each other, but they both could have been with him and it would have been fine. Mm-hmm. I, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think people think too narrowly about being happy in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kashimashi, Girl Meets Girl. Again, I'm, this is one of the ones I've not read, but I've heard is really, really good. Same. I, I, I honestly have not read that many of the Yuri classics. And I know that it has science fiction elements which appeal to me. I like to see Yuri in different settings. Uh, most Yuri, by the way, we didn't talk about setting much. Most Yuri is set in vaguely present day. You know, it could be any time in late 20th, early 21st century Japan, usually urban, um, present day. But it can be anywhere. You can have Yuri in fantasy and science fiction and other things. And I like seeing it pop up in different settings. Yeah, there's even some that break into a mix of Yuri and Isekai. Yeah, I've not seen a lot of the Isekai, but I've seen a little bit. Um, yeah. And it can be good. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I I think that does it for discussing and defining Yuri. Is there anything you wanted to add into that? Not not really. I just, well, I guess maybe some. I just, I, I've, I'm interested to see how this, how Yuri has developed very differently than Yaoi. That I feel like has stayed very similar across the years till I would say recently. You, you think they've split recently? In what way? No, I feel like they've kind of always had that big split. I just feel like Yaoi is actually slowly becoming more like Yuri, but it's taking. Interesting. But I think it's taking a lot longer. Interesting. Now, do you think Yaoi as a as a genre is evolving, or do you think it's forming into a new genre where 
traditionally red yaoi will still exist and a new genre will also come into existence. I think it's forming into a new genre. I think there will always be that big genre of it basically just being sadist porn. But I think there is this... For women. Yeah. But I do think there is this new genre coming out that's more like Yuri that I've noticed. With a, And I think that's very possible. And I think we've seen a movement culturally within the West that... And Japan has close ties to Western culture. Um... And sometimes adopts parts of it. But I've seen in the West a lot more acceptance of men being able to be men without being Mm hyper-masculine. I mean, I'll be honest. When I was your age, if a man wasn't like oozing gun oil and uh, scotch out of the pores of his skin, then he obviously wasn't very masculine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now there's a much bigger spectrum. Right. And, and it leaves more space for emotional relationships and characters, hell, including a guy, male characters. Hell, a guy can do a little bit of makeup and paint his nails and still be considered masculine. Right, which is a big change. It I is mean, a good, healthy change. I mean, you could do it before, but only if you also teased up your hair and were in a metal band. Yeah. <laughs> which, don't you dare tell them that that is, that that is just the same kind of behavior they said the other guys were gay for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't tell them that. Don't tell them that Brett Michaels of Poison dressed like a complete poofter. Mm-hmm. He did, folks. <laughs> By the way, Poison is kind of a guilty pleasure for me from the 80s. Their music overall wasn't very good, but it was still kind of fun. Mm. Um, not as good as Motley Crue, though, who also dressed like poofters <laughs> and rocked. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, now I want to put on theater of pain which is a great album Mm -hmm. but i can't put it on on the podcast because uh miskatonic won't pay for those rights those are expensive rights so we're gonna go listen to some theater of pain and i'm gonna recommend you people go read some yuri comics and remember you can get a hold of me on twitter and all those places it's all in the show notes at prof hamby and we'll see you next time Mm -hmm. bye